All right, it's confession time. Who's got all their Christmas decorations up? Come on. It's okay if you don't. We know that there's some Scrooges in the room, but uh, last night we were decorating our Christmas tree, and we don't have one of those Christmas trees that's like perfectly decorated and has a color scheme out of a magazine and matches all the other decorations in the house. We have one of those Christmas trees where the last 12 years of having kids have barfed all over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like all the, all the crafts and cardboard and paper that, you know, you can't get rid of and has to go on the tree. It's actually not that bad. Um, and uh, we do have a lot of special ornaments on there. One of the things we like to do is if we travel... Uh, if it's to a special place or out of the country, we try to buy an ornament from that location and bring it home to put on our tree. So like we have like a, a little wooden turtle from Hawaii and we have, uh, one of my favorites is we have a Santa in board shorts and sunglasses from New Zealand. Because if you didn't know, New Zealand December is summer. So like Christmas is in the summer. It's so weird to think about that. Um, but as we were pulling out our, our decorations, I was reminded that I got, when I was in Burundi in Africa last year, I got these two little wooden drums. Because in Burundi, drumming, their, their, their drums are very, you know, very special culturally, and so I got these two little drums, and for the first time, we got to hang them on the tree this year. And it reminded me that at this time last year, I was preparing for that trip. I went in January 2023, almost a year ago now. I was preparing for that trip to go to Burundi, and I've got these cool little drums. And so I was there for just, just two weeks, but um, I, my wife and kids didn't come with me. And so, especially at the end of the trip, I started to really long for home. I started to really miss my family, miss my kids, miss the comforts of home, just being in another country. And especially on the trip home, flights were long and uncomfortable. I just, I just wanted to be home. And so it was so special driving home, um, coming up my street, my kids were standing in the driveway, jumping up and down, tackled me when I got home. Uh, it was a really cool moment to just come home after being gone for a long time. The feeling of being home after being gone for a while is an amazing feeling. And the feeling of homesickness while being separated from home can be a terrible feeling. And I think most people have felt some of both to some degree greater or lesser than the other. We've had that feeling of coming home and we've had that feeling of longing for home. Now, home isn't necessarily a place. It certainly is part of it. But a place, you know, can provide the stability and comfort. But sometimes, as the old saying goes, home is just where the heart is. Sometimes you can feel like you're not at home even when you're in your own house. Home is, is being with people you love and the people who love you. Home is a sense of safety and peace. Home is the feeling of comfort, a place where you can relax and belong, a place where you are known and you know those who are with you. That's why a prolonged absence from home is so hard. When you're in a place where you feel like you don't belong, when you're in a place where you're uncomfortable, where you, you can't be yourself, it begins to wear you down and you long for that sense of home. And that's our theme this Advent season, the theme of longing for home, longing for home. Everyone wants to be home. And Advent reminds us that whether or not you have a place that feels like home, there is a home for you in God. 
that God broke through the divide, he broke through the barriers, and through Advent, the arrival of Jesus, we have a home in God. And so as we enter this season, we remind ourselves that Advent is actually meant to be a season of longing. It's meant to be a season of preparation, of looking forward to the arrival, looking forward to Jesus coming so that we could make our home in God. We're supposed to uh, put ourselves in a position where we remember that feeling of longing for home. The word Advent itself just means arrival or coming. Something has arrived. When you came to church this morning, it was your Advent in church. When you go back home today, it will be your Advent home. When, when the Amazon Prime truck comes down your road, you know, I think the Amazon Prime truck for adults is like, is like the ice cream truck for kids. There's the Amazon Prime truck. It's coming. It's coming. Right? When the Amazon Prime truck comes and brings your packages, it's the advent of what you have been waiting for since you clicked that button 18 hours ago. It's amazing. I, my Christmas shopping was done in like six minutes. It was awesome. Uh, I, I, should, I should tell you that my wife continues to do Christmas shopping. Just my Christmas shopping was done. But the particular arrival that we celebrate this Advent season is the arrival of Jesus into the world. God become flesh, born into our reality. It's the arrival of a new experience of what it means to be at home. So we're going to start way back way, way back. It's often helpful in the Advent season to try to get yourself in the mindset of those who were looking forward, longing for the arrival of the Messiah. But even before kind of the the generations leading up to Jesus, even before that, there was a longing that the people had to go home that the prophet Isaiah spoke to. It was the season in history we call the exile. And the prophet Isaiah, if you know, there's so many great Christmassy passages in Isaiah that look forward to Jesus, but also speak to a longing the people had in his day. So here's a passage, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to 5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So Isaiah proclaimed this message from the Lord in a very specific time in history. In around 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of Babylon, attacked Jerusalem after some rebellious kind of response from Jerusalem who was under his oppression. He attacked Jerusalem, he destroyed it, broke down the walls, burned the temple, slaughtered the inhabitants, and any of the survivors who were maybe educated or had noble birth or had any kind of thing going for them, he carried them off into exile. He carried them off basically to be assimilated into Babylonian culture and into the empire. So we get stories like Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who went into the fiery furnace. This was the period of exile where where young people, especially educated, talented young people, were brought into the service of the Babylonians and they had to try to figure out how to continue to serve God while they're in a a nation and in the service of a king who worshipped other gods. And so to simplify a complex time in history, basically exile meant that God's people were far from home. 
For them, the, the biggest piece of that for, in their mind was the location. They were taken from the promised land. This is the land that God had set aside specifically for them. They were taken away from the holy city. They were taken away from the temple where they worshiped God. The presence of God, it was the hot spot of where God dwelt. When the temple was destroyed, they, they would have literally felt like it was the end of the world. The very center of the universe was gone. Exile then and now, means that you are unwillingly far from home. You don't have to be in Babylon to feel like you're in exile. You may even be in your house, yet feeling far from where you're supposed to be. So the first thought I want to talk about today is that we long for home because we are in exile. We long for home because we are in exile. A lot of people experience a sense of exile even when they are in a location that should feel like home. It can be brought on by a lot of different forces. It can be brought on because, because your kids or your grandkids live in a different city, but you wish you were with them. That feels more like home. It can be that your in-laws are in town and your house no longer feels comfortable. I'm not looking at the Lamoureux or anything right now. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it can feel, exile can feel like the loss of a dream. Exile can be a broken relationship. It can, can be a scary diagnosis. There are so many ways to feel unwillingly far from home. Eugene Peterson said, the essential meaning of exile is that we are where we don't want to be. We are where we don't want to be. I know someone in here is thinking, yeah, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Some people get dragged to church. We love that you're here, but at least you get the point. Exile means we are where we don't want to be. We are unwillingly far from home. But for the Jewish people, even though there was geography associated with their exile, the geography was actually meant to be more symbolic of a greater form of exile. They were disconnected from their home, but it was, it was more than just the street address disconnection. The Jewish people weren't just far from their homeland, they were far from God. And they were far from him long before they left the city of Jerusalem. God was not tied to geography. Their hearts were far from him. They had wandered away in sin and idolatry. They had gotten themselves lost, and it led to all kinds of places they didn't want to be. So, have you found yourself in a place you don't want to be? Sometimes we're victimized. Sometimes it's forces we can't control, and we didn't do it. and had nothing to do with decisions we made. But sometimes, sometimes we're the culprit of our own exile. Sometimes we just make bad decisions, we ignore wisdom, we, we think we know better, oh, I'm just built different, I can handle it better than different people can, but then you get stuck. Do you know the feeling if you're on a ski lift and all of a sudden it just stops and you just swing there for a minute and you realize really quickly how helpless you are because you can't just jump off, it's like 30 feet and you don't know what's going on. You don't know how long you're going to be there. Is it going to be five seconds? Is it going to be five minutes? Is it going to be five hours? What's going on? The only hope you have is that somebody who knows what they're doing is going to fix the thing. Or have you ever, uh, uh, last year, last year there was a viral video. And I would have showed it to you, but it traumatized me. And I don't want to bring trauma to you. But there's this video. This guy was skiing and he had a GoPro on his helmet. And he's skiing through some trees 
And all of a sudden in the video, you just see kind of a flash of color go by his feet. And it caused him to turn and stop and look back. And all he saw behind him was an upside down snowboard and two feet. And then they went into the snow in a tree well. And so he, he climbed back up and he literally had to dig somebody, he had to dig all the way down to this guy's mouth so he could breathe again. The guy was moments from dying. Like, that's a guy who's stuck and has no hope but for someone to notice his plight and come into his situation and rescue him. Sometimes in our feelings of exile, we feel so hopeless. We can't close the gap between where we are and where we want to be. We can't dig ourselves out. We can't get home by any means we know about. We're so far away, so far gone, so stuck that we can't get ourselves out. The only hope is that someone outside our situation with some sort of capability, some sort of power beyond ours can come into our situation and rescue us from our exile. The Jewish people in exile had no hope to go home on their own. They could only hope for a miracle. They could only hope for a way maker to come and rescue them. It's in this context, in this longing, in this feeling of being far from home and completely stuck that Isaiah proclaims the message we read, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. It's the language of the coming of a king. And we, we, we put out the red carpet. We, we sweep the streets. We open the gates because the king is coming. So Advent announces the beginning of our return home. Advent announces the beginning of our return home. This announcement from Isaiah proclaimed an amazing promise. The exile is almost over. God was on his way to rescue his people. And it made something clear about who God is. God is not someone who expects you to find your way home. God is not someone who expects you to dig yourself out of the tree well that you're stuck in upside down. God is not someone who expects you from your seat on the chairlift to figure out what's going on and fix the mechanism so the thing can get moving again. Those things are impossible for us to do. God does not expect that. God is the one who comes to us. God is the rescuer who sees us in our situation and he comes to us to rescue us and bring us home. Every religion of this world tells you that you have to get back to God. You have to perform the right rituals and duties to earn your way into heaven. But the announcement of Advent is that God has come and he is the rescuer to come pull us out of the pit. So you might feel stuck in exile. You might feel trapped. You might have no way out. But the good news of Christmas is that God is on the way. If you're a student of the scriptures, uh, you probably recognized Isaiah's words used also in the gospel of Matthew as the Christmas story begins. We read them in Matthew 3, 3. It says, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. 
So this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He was the cousin of Jesus, and he had a very specific ministry of preparing people, letting them know that the Messiah was coming, shouting in the wilderness, hey, prepare the way, prepare your hearts, get ready, because the Savior that you've been longing for, that you've needed, that you've cried out for, he is on his way. He was actually asked one time, who are you? What's your ministry about? And this is what John said. He said, this is who I am. Isaiah was talking about me when he said there'd be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now at this time in history, during John's ministry, before Jesus' birth, or, or pardon me, before Jesus' ministry started, the Jewish people, they were back in their homeland. The exile in Babylon was over, but John was still telling them, you are still in exile. You might be back in Jerusalem, you might have a temple again, you might be back in your homeland, but there's a kind of exile where you are far from home even when you are geographically in your house. John referred to the exile brought on by sin and death. Our sin has led us into the wilderness of death. It has taken us far from home. It has dug us into a pit. It it has left us stranded far from where we should be. But John is saying once again, In the most important way, God is coming to rescue us, to bring us home. So he says, prepare the way. Prepare the way. Open the gate. Get get the road ready because God is coming. So Advent then is a season of preparation. It's a season. I asked you if, if, you know, you had done your decorations. That's not the only thing most people do to prepare for Christmas. There's baking to be done, decorations. There's, there's all kinds of shopping and planning and, and organizing. You know, here, here's a financial tip, okay? This is something my, my wife brought into our family because so many people at Christmas, they, they go into crippling debt starting into the new year. Uh, Rebecca, as she, as she did our budget, she would put just a little bit of money in every single month, January to December, to prepare for Christmas. So after Christmas, we're not in debt. It's brilliant. We don't spend all year paying off Christmas. We spend all year prepping for Christmas. Not that we have a, we have a very simple Christmas, but we're preparing. The point is we're preparing for Christmas to come. We know what's going to happen, so we're getting ready for it to happen. And in the same way we prepare for Christmas celebrations, Isaiah and John are inviting us to prepare for the presence of God to enter into our lives. Now, I know you know this is true. The quality of your experiences are directly related to the quality of your preparations. You, you know that's true. It, that, that's the same in sports. It's in, the same in business. It's the same in, in cooking a recipe. The quality of your experience is related to the quality of your preparations. So are you prepared for what God wants to do when he comes into your life? Are you prepared for what God wants to do in this Christmas Advent season? Are you ready to receive him? Is your heart open? Is your, is your home open to him? Because he's coming. In fact, he's here. When you think about the story of Jesus, no one was ready for him. They had waited. They had longed for him. They had prayed for the Messiah to come for thousands of years. Then he shows up and there's no room for him in the inn. He showed up and the religious leaders of the day who were supposed to steward the faith of Israel were shocked and scandalized by him. He shows up and the king who was supposed to be a steward for the king who was coming back to claim his throne, that king wanted to kill him. No one was ready 
for the coming of the Savior that they had prayed would come. We often pray and hope and ask God to move in our life and dream and long and wish that something would change. And then when God wants to come and do something, we push him away because we have not prepared our hearts. We have not humbled ourselves so that he can come and do things the way he wants to do things in our lives. You see, God wants to come. God wants to arrive. God wants to show up in your home. God wants to show up in your life. God wants to do a work in you. But if your heart is not prepared to receive him, you might miss out. You might miss out on the glory that he wants to reveal. Is it possible that God actually has more for you than you think he does simply because you haven't been expecting him to work in the way that he wants to work? And so John calls that out in us. And he says, prepare the way. I'm convinced that one of the biggest factors limiting our experience of God is the barriers we put up ourselves. Our own pride, our own fear, our own sin, our own stubbornness. Yes, there's lots of issues outside of our control as well. But what barriers are you putting up that's blocking God's work in your life. God is arriving. He's pursuing you. He's calling you, knocking on your door. But, but are you pushing him away? Are you telling him to go away? Are you holding that door closed? And so this is what John said we're to do in Matthew 3, 2. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's not some far off place that one day we'll fly to. It's near. It's, a, it's among. It's, it's around you. It's, it's close by. It's closer than you think. Therefore, repent and turn to God. Home is closer than you think. That desire you have, that longing for that comfort and peace and joy, the place to belong, the place where you are known, the place where you are loved deeply, is closer than you think. Turn your hearts toward God to receive from him. Prepare the way in your heart. Two ways I think we can do this. One, we need to acknowledge the sins that have led to our own spiritual exile. John says, repent, which is a Bible word that, that just means change your mind. Change the way you think about God and his work in the world. Part of our issue is we always think we know better. We always think we have it figured out. We always think that we are right. We know the way. But in the presence of God's wisdom, we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we so often get it wrong. The way we do things is often the biggest contributing factor to our own spiritual exile. So change your mind. Change the way you think about God and his work in your life. Sitting before God in humility is the perfect posture to be able to begin experience, experiencing his rescue and his blessing in your life. And secondly, we need to set our hope on the advent of Jesus. The Advent season is tra traditionally broken down into four themes. The theme of hope, peace, joy, and love. And this first week is the theme of hope. Hope is a confident expectation of the future. I might not have something yet, but I know that it is coming. I'm believing for it to be here, and I'm living my life in light of what I know is on its way. God is moving. Jesus is coming, and so I live now knowing that that reality 
is going to be here. The Jews in exile were living in the hope of the return to their promised land. They were promised it would happen. They, they had hope that one day, they didn't know how it was going to happen. They, they, there was this massive Babylonian empire that had smashed the world. There's no way they can escape. Somehow it's going to happen. And they believed and they trusted and they had hope for that. The people in John's day were living in hope for the advent, the arrival of the Messiah. They had a confident expectation of that future. See, God has made promises in your life. God has made promises to us that there is a good future. He has good plans for us. That's what he said to the people in exile. I have, plan- I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope for a future. That's what God says to people who are in exile. I have a home for you. Now today, you're probably not waiting for a return to your homeland. Maybe some of you are. And the Messiah has come. He has brought salvation. But we are still a people of hope. We are still a people who have a confident expectation of an amazing future. Because there's a second advent coming. There's a second arrival that we wait for. Jesus is coming back. And he promises that in the meantime, he's preparing a home for us a home that he will take us to, to live with him forever. A home that can't be stolen away and a home that you can't be stolen away from. There will be a time when exile is no longer possible. That's what we are hoping for today. But we don't hope motionless. We don't hope just sitting on our hands. We recognize, as John said, that our forever home is near. And so we can live in the reality of that promise today. Through hope, we can live in the peace, joy, and love of God now, knowing our future is secure in Jesus. Through hope, we can live transformed lives today, preparing for the eternal life we will experience tomorrow. We can live in a perpetual sense of hope, confident in the good future that has been promised to us. And it's not a flighting hope. It's, it's not a pretend hope. It's not wishful thinking. You know why? Because, because we were told that Jesus would come. We were told the Messiah would come, and he did. God kept his promise. And then Jesus died on a cross, predicting that he would rise from the dead, and then he did. And then he said, I'm going to come back. So you know what? He will. Because he proved that his promises are good. And so we live in a confident hope based on trust in the one who is trustworthy, who has proved himself over and over and over again that he is good and his promises come true. So today, we live in confident hope. You might still feel far from home. You might still feel like in a place of exile. But your sin no longer has to be the cause of that. Because he has brought you home to his heart. He has forgiven you of your sins when you ask for that forgiveness. And you can find your home in God today. And and rest assured, rest assured that at the second advent, all injustices will be undone. All dead things will be made alive again. And eternal life will be secure. Exile will be a thing of the past because you will have a home forever. Would you bow your heads with me? The band is going to come back up. I'm just going to move into a time of prayer. We just want to posture our hearts before God right now as well to prepare ourselves for this moment, but also for this season to come.
to prepare our hearts and our minds for what God wants to do in the Advent season. He did not finish working in the world at the arrival of Jesus. He continues to arrive in every home that welcomes him in. There's a scene in the book of Revelation where Jesus is knocking. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. And the question is, will we let him in? He does not force himself on us. He invite, He asks to be invited to come into our hearts, to come into our home, to come into our lives, to do the work that only he can do. And in this moment, as you bow your head and as you close your eyes and, and, and posture yourself before him, in your own words and in your own time, I want to encourage you, whether you've done it a thousand times or whether this is the first time, just picture yourself opening the door to your heart, opening the door to your life, opening the door to every aspect of your life, maybe that you've hidden from God or places you've run from God. Open the door to him. Allow him to arrive in your world and do what only he can do. Jesus, we ask and we invite, we invite you to arrive. Give us a personal advent of Christ, that Jesus, you would come into every heart, to every life, to every home. Lord Jesus, our sin and our rebellion has cast us into exile from you, into the wilderness of death. But Jesus, you have come as the rescuer. You took on death on our behalf. You died on the cross for our sins so that we can be given life and receive an eternal home. So Jesus, we ask for that forgiveness today. We repent of our sins and ask that you help us to change the way we think about you and your work in the world. Lord, we open the doors that we have left closed so that you can come in and do the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray specifically for those in this room that maybe this is the first time they invite you in. Lord, just do a miracle in their heart. Lord, take them out of darkness and into light. Take them out of death and into life, Lord Jesus. Whatever situation they're coming out of, whatever exile they feel that they're, they're banished into, God, I pray that they would see the way home in you. Jesus said, you are the way, you are the life, you are the truth, that through you we can come to the Father and find our home. So Jesus, we ask in your name, we ask in your name that you would bring us home. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to encourage you today, if, if that was the first time you prayed a prayer like that, would you talk to somebody, whether it's me, another pastor, the friend that brought you, would you just tell somebody so that they can help you? And uh, we also want to close with this song. We sang it earlier. It's the song Waymaker. It's this declaration, this, this faith that, that whatever, whatever we're stuck in, wherever we are in exile, God is making a way. God is on a journey to come and rescue us. He's a miracle worker and can rescue us from whatever pit we are in, wherever we are stuck, whatever exile we found ourselves in. So as you sing this song or even just contemplate its words, sing it and think about it as a declaration and a prayer in your own life, inviting Jesus to come and do his work.